morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? All right. Well, like Josh said, my name is Luke Freimark. I'm coming to you from Emmaus Road Church this morning, where I am one of the ruling elders, and I'm also a pastoral intern there. Um, I go to Reformed Theological Seminary along with Chris. He and I are good friends. I was sorry to hear about his um, sickness. Um, and it just so happens that at Emmaus Road, we're also going through the Psalms this summer. And it was kind of providential how this morning worked out. I just happened to be with Josh when he got that text. And uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 102, which is a psalm of lament. And I heard that James just preached from a psalm of lament a few weeks ago. But I would encourage you to hear what God's word has to say to you this morning. We need psalms of lament. We need God's word to guide us in processing and expressing our emotions when the hard things in life come, and they do come. Well, unlike a lot of the Psalms, Psalm 102, we don't know who the author actually is or what he was going through, but if you have a Bible in front of you, you can see the uh, title of the Psalm says, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So in other words, this Psalm was written as a sort of template for people to pray when they are suffering, for us to pray when we're facing hardships. And this is a fallen world. Hardships are plentiful. So let's bring our hardships to the Lord this morning as we read Psalm 102. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass, but you, O oh Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord Builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord 
and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts today. Help us to understand your word. Help us to receive your word. And God, we pray that you would use it to shape us more and more into the image of your son. Lord, we pray for Chris this morning. Would you heal him speedily? God, we pray that in his absence, you would speak through me for the building up of your church and for the glory of your name alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, at what age do you think that a kid should get their first cell phone? It's something that every parent needs to think about these days at some point. And it might be a topic that's even caused some arguments in your household. And opinions vary. Uh, some parents say, you know, not until they're old enough to drive and get a job and pay for it on their own. And meanwhile, though, I've seen kids as young as kindergartners walking around with cell phones. And it's something that I've got to thinking myself. When should our kids get cell phones? They're only five and six. And the reason why I'm even thinking about it at all, why it's even on my radar, is because I want our kids to be able to call for help if there's ever some sort of emergency. I want them to be able to call 911 if they have to. They're just kids. There's not a whole lot that they can handle on their own. But once you're not a kid anymore and you grow up, you can handle just about anything. Nothing scares grown-ups, right? Nothing confuses you. Nothing makes you panic. Well, in the movie Frozen 2, which I have seen an unfortunate amount of times, uh, the magical snowman Olaf, he, he finds himself in this confusing and scary situation, and he tries to calm himself down by singing this song. It's called When I Am Older. Here's a few lyrics from it. This will all make sense when I am older. Someday I will see that this makes sense. One day when I'm old and wise, I'll think back and realize these were all completely normal events. I'll have all the answers when I'm older. When I'm more mature, I'll feel totally secure. But of course, that's not actually how adulthood works. That song is meant to be funny to us parents. Things still scare us. Many things still don't make sense to us. We don't have all the answers. We don't feel secure. It doesn't take much to send us into a spiral of anxiety 
and despair. It just takes one life event. We are not as strong as we think we are. So what do we do in our time of need? You can't just call 911 whenever life gets hard. So who should you call on? Who can we rely on? Well, you're in a church. You, you know the answer, right? God. Trust in God in your time of need. Please hear this psalm today. Hear that trusting in God in the midst of hardship is not just some Christian platitude. It's not just some trite song that we sing to ourselves. Trusting in God during hard times is hard, but it is essential to the Christian life. And as we'll see in our psalm today, because God reigns forever, we must rely on him in our time of need. And there are three ways that this psalm directs us in our reliance on him. First, we must cry out to him. Second, we must trust his mercy. And third, we must remember our future is secure in him. So first, we must cry out to God in our time of mercy. In verses 1 and 2, we see the psalmist doing just this. He calls out, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Answer me when I call. Now, it's, not, it's not that God hasn't been listening to him. God hears all the prayers that you pray to him, whether it's silently in your head or you're screaming to the heavens. He hears them all. But rather, these words in verses 1 and 2, they show just how desperate the psalmist is feeling. He feels like God has not been listening to his prayers. And he's asking him, this time, please hear me, God. Please help me. And why does he need help? Well, he tells us in verses 3 through 11. And I'm not going to go through all these verses. We'll just look at a few. In verses 3 through 5, he complains about his physical suffering. He says, my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. And then moving on to verses six through eight, we see he's not just suffering physically, but emotional, emotionally and socially in his relationships. He says in verse six, I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. He's saying he's completely alone in his suffering. In fact, the only people who do give him attention are his enemies. In verse eight, it says, all day, my enemies taunt me. The only people who are around him are just rubbing his suffering in his face. And finally, in verses nine through 11, we see that he actually complains about God himself. Verse nine, he says, I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. Notice, he never says that he doesn't deserve God's wrath. But that doesn't mean that he's happy about it either. You know, I want our kids to be able to call for help in case of some emergency, but Tracy, my wife, and I, as their parents, we're the first line of defense, right? 
if one of them falls and skins their knee, I don't want them running to call 911. Come to me, come to my wife, Tracy. But we're not just there for them just when they're hurt. We're there to take care of all of their needs. That's what we do as their parents. But also as their parents, we get a lot of complaints, a lot of whining. And we want to help them, we're there for them, but it is a daily struggle to get them to turn their whining into actually asking for help. It usually goes something like this. One of them will come up to me and say something like, Dad, I'm hungry. And I'll respond to them, no whining. So they'll change their tone. They'll say, Dad, I'm hungry. And I respond, okay. <laughs> and they'll say something like, I want an apple. So I say, how do you ask? Can I please have an apple? It's like this three or four step process to get them from just complaining about something to actually asking respectfully with their please and thank yous. But notice that is not what God does with us. He doesn't ask us to pray, no. Father, may I please have an apple? He actually wants to hear, Dad. I'm hungry. God, I'm suffering. I don't know what to do. I'm lonely. I can't get rid of this sin. I'm ready to give up. The Psalms are filled with these kinds of prayers. And God does, he doesn't just begrudgingly put up with our complaints. He actually welcomes them. He cares so much about you that he actually wants to hear the most raw, honest voice within your heart. We live in the Midwest, right? Where sharing our deepest thoughts and emotions uh, doesn't come naturally to us. We don't want to burden people with our emotions, but hear me, it is not a burden to God. First Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you cast your innermost struggles on God, you are not going to surprise him. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that God in eternity past knew you before the foundation of the world. He knew all the ugliest, most sinful parts of you. And yet, he still sent his son to die for you. And his son, he felt all these things on our behalf that are in this psalm. He felt all the physical, emotional, spiritual suffering. And he did it willingly. A God who loves you enough to do that, he is not going to turn away from you now no matter what you're going through or what you're feeling. His love for you is not conditional. It stretches beyond eternity. We can cry out to him in our time of need because he is forever seated on his throne. He is ready to hear our cries from his throne. And because he reigns forever, we must also trust his mercy in our time of need. Starting at verse 11, 
It says, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. What we're seeing happen here is the psalmist, he's taking the focus off of himself and he's putting the focus on God. He's saying, I am withering away, but you are eternal. I am weak, but you are strong. Verse 13, you will arise and have pity on Zion. Zion is a term that he's using for God's people. And he's showing his trust in the Lord. He knows God will have mercy on his people. Verse 15, nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, his people. He appears in his glory. He's saying, Lord, glorify yourself by showing the world how you have mercy on your people. Help us so that the world would see how good you are. I would love for my kids to ask for help in that sort of way. Dad, can I have an apple so the world can see how good you are? But that kind of honor is due only to the Lord. And he continues with this theme in verses 18 through 22. He says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And what is it that should be recorded? This in verse 19, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. The Lord is great, and the psalmist is seeing this in the fact that the eternal God of the universe, the way that he chooses to glorify himself is by hearing the prayers of the destitute, the groans of the prisoners. Those who are weak, those who wither away like the psalmist himself. God glorifies himself by having mercy on such as these, on such as us. Well, Simon Chiprote is this world-class long-distance runner from Kenya. And in 2019, Simon was taking part in a 10-kilometer race in Nigeria. It's a race that he had won once before in his life, and he came in second once before, and he was looking forward to winning this race again. And things were looking good. Um, he was rounding into the final bend of the race. He was in the lead group, and it's the part of the race where they start sprinting towards the finish line. And everything was going good until one of the runners took a tumble and fell to the ground. And while a lot of the other runners just saw this as an opportunity to pass one of their competitors, Simon just saw a man who needed help. He stopped running and he helped this man to his feet and he helped him all the way to the finish line. And not only that, but he actually put the man across the finish line before himself, putting himself in last place. I don't even know who actually won that race. Uh, the news articles don't even mention who won. All the glory 
of that race was won by Simon Chiprote and his selfless actions. A man who could have had all the glory of the gold medal, instead he chooses to help a rival who is in need. Well, how much more amazing is it that the eternal God of the universe would look down from his holy height to hear the groans of his people? How much more amazing is it than rather than leaving us in his dust, he chooses to glorify himself by picking us up in his arms and carrying us. He chose to glorify himself, not by crushing those who are against him, which he would have been perfectly just to do, but by having mercy on them. And that is how God will be known throughout all generations. And this is why we tell our children about Jesus, because he is a God of mercy. Why do you think the psalmist at this point in his life would have so much confidence in God? This is the prayer of someone who is suffering, who is in pain and loneliness. Where does his confidence come from? Is it just blind faith that everything will all work out? That this will all make sense when I'm older? No. His hope for the future is based on who God is and what he has done. Even in the midst of what was probably the hardest season of this psalmist's life, he takes his eyes off of himself and places them on God and says, I know who you are. From eternity past, God, you had a plan to redeem your people. Though I wither away like grass, Lord, you are eternal. You are enthroned forever, and I trust you. No, it's... It's easy to praise God for his faithfulness when everything is going well in our lives. But when it feels like our world is crashing in, God is still faithful. His mercy is the same yesterday, today, and always. How can we trust in God's mercy when things aren't going according to plan? We can remember who God is. We can say, I know who you are, God. You are the God who sacrificed your son for us. As Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We can trust his mercy because he is a God of mercy. He's merciful to his people yesterday, today, and forever. And because of this, we must also remember that our future is secure in him. In verse 23, the psalmist talks about his suffering again. He says, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Then in verse 24, we see the only request of this prayer since the introduction. He says, Oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. His request is simple. He's saying, don't let me die yet. 
You who transcend time, who holds time in your hands, please give me more time. The psalmist, he doesn't actually know if God is going to grant him what he's asking for. And yet he still finds comfort. In verse 25, he says, Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The earth will pass away, but you, God, will last forever, and you will take care of your people forever. Our future is secure with you, God. And isn't that what we all want as humans, for our future to be secure? It's a driving instinct in us as humans. We seek security. Well, in 1997, there was a 35-year-old man named Scott Catt who tragically lost his wife to breast cancer. And he was left to raise their two children on his own. And he didn't know how he was going to make ends meet. He had a full-time job. He worked hard, but it wasn't enough. And eventually he got desperate and he started turning to a life of crime. He started robbing banks once or twice a year, um, trying to make off with smaller amounts, five grand, 10 grand. But over time, He kept getting away with it, and he got bolder and bolder, started going for more. And in 2012, after 15 years of this, he finally got arrested after stealing 100 grand from a bank in Texas. And so he was facing a 24-year prison sentence for this. And he was asked, why did you do what you did? This was his answer. All I can tell you is that I thought it would help us as a family. I swear to you, I would only rob banks for my family. Kind of brings to mind that old ethical dilemma. Would you steal bread to feed your family? Well, most of us are probably never going to find ourselves in that kind of situation. But that doesn't mean that we don't go to great lengths to pursue security. You might not rob banks or steal bread. Maybe instead you work 60 80 hours a week? Consider, have you given yourself over to endless amounts of work in the pursuit of security? There is no eternal security in money. There's no eternal security in your good works. There's no eternal security in your cabin, in your spouse, in anything here on earth. If you want to be secure in your future, rest in Jesus. He is not anxious about tomorrow. He already knows what's going to happen. He knows how he's going to provide for you. If you have trusted in him as your savior, if you've trusted in him alone for salvation, he has prepared a place for you with him, and no one and nothing can take that away from him. Speaking about kids calling 911, uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone. 
you all I'm sure know the story, eight-year-old Kevin McAllister, he gets accidentally left home alone by his family as they get on a plane and fly to Paris. And he's left back in Chicago. And a couple of burglars had been scouting the house, waiting for an opportunity. And when they see the family leave, they think now is a good time to rob the place. And they don't know that Kevin, eight-year-old Kevin, is still home alone. And when Kevin realizes there are bad guys trying to break into his home, he decides to take it upon himself to defend the place. And he sets, you know, all these dozens of traps for them, which, of course, they fall into hilariously over and over. Something that's always kind of bugged me about this movie is why doesn't he just call 911 right away? He does eventually call 911, but it's after the bad guys are in the house and he's trying to lead them to their final trap. But wouldn't it just be better to call 911 in the beginning and let the police handle it? Wouldn't it be better for us to rely on God in our time of need rather than leaning on our own strength and understanding? Our days pass away like smoke. Our hearts wither like grass. Our days are like an evening shadow. So instead, rely on the God who is enthroned forever. He is the God who has pity on Zion. The Lord, and he builds up Zion. He regards us. He regards the prayer of the destitute. He hears the groans of the prisoners. And he will remain forever. Maybe you don't feel worthy of asking for God's help. Maybe you, maybe you feel like you just need to pull up your bootstraps and try harder. I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out. Hear me, church. You are no match for the hardships of this world. You are no match for Satan. But the good news is that God is here for you. And if, if you have a hard time believing that, just look to the cross. A God who would give up his son for you, he will not abandon you now. You are precious to him. And not only did Jesus die for you, but he is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, advocating for you. That means he's on your side. Don't be Kevin McAllister. Don't rely on your own strengths when there is someone much more powerful and ready and willing and able to help you. You know what happens to Kevin? He ends up hung on a wall with his finger between the teeth of one of the burglars ready to get bitten off. Relying on his own strength, they worked for him for a while. But in the end, it got real bad for him and he needed to be rescued. Rely on the God who is enthroned forever. Cry out to him in your time of need. Trust in his mercy and remember that your future is secure in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are mortal creatures. We are weak. We need you more than we could ever realize. Give us eyes to see how much we need you and how much you love us and how much you want to comfort us. 
Help us to rely on you, to cast all our cares on you. We thank you, God, for looking down from your holy height, for hearing us and regarding our prayers. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.